Hello and welcome to Shadow and Wisdom, a Percy Jackson podcast. My name is Katie, and I'm here with my best friend and co-host, Frankie. Hey, everyone! <laughs> and guys, you know what time it is. Every other week, we hop on here and review the latest two episodes of the Percy Jackson and the Olympian series on Disney+. Plus. Today, it is episodes 5 and 6. And fair warning... We're going to be discussing episode five a lot more because, oh my god. Oh my god. I know. Whew. So I don't even know where to start with the feelings around episode five. It was And just- it's not just the Persebest. It's the intentionally uh, just brilliant additions that they chose to include that are so good for the characterization. It's episode five maybe was one of the ones that went off script the right. most but how they did it was so good oh my god it was so good oh where do we start the beginning a very good place to start like do we just go hey that's my forward? line <laughs> i know i had to steal it because it popped up First of all, we see the fates. We see it through Annabeth's eyes, that string getting cut. Spoilers for the books. We're going to say this every time. Guys, we will be discussing the books. If you don't, if you have not read them and you don't want spoilers, get out right now. I'm about to spoil a lot. So just get out. We see them cut Luke's string right there. Mm-hmm. Right there. We see the, oh my gosh. And changing that to being through Annabeth's perspective. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. So brilliant. Shut- Amazing change. Oh. That is an amendment to the books that you know Rick wanted to do. That he couldn't do before because it was in Percy's POV, which means Percy right. really had to have the impact of seeing that string be cut. But now we don't we aren't stuck in like that POV. So it's just oh Annabeth seeing that and then again, Grover and Annabeth, they're playing on their trauma so well because they yes. are waiting there. For Percy, this is the second time, guys. This is the second time someone has sacrificed for them that they care about, that they're trying not to get too close to because of this, or at least in Annabeth's case, being right. really cautious. And, and it's failing happened- spectacularly at that, by the way. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it happened again where he sacrifices himself. And they're... There should be no way this boy is alive. Like, there should be absolutely no way. They should not have any hope. But Annabeth is still like, no, we gotta... And she's just seen a string be cut. She thinks he's dead. But she's still like, we gotta go find him. He's alive. Yes, that line. He's alive. I know. That is like a freaking soulmate connection right there if I ever have heard it. I mean, just like... Freaking Tether, which we can get into when we talk about episode six, because they're they're already highlighting their tether, their freaking, like, that tether that's going to pull him out of that freaking, the freaking river and last Olympian. Like, shut up. And Mark but- of Athena, the ending of Mark of Athena was a string, or in this case, a web, uh-huh. but a string of web being cut. It is a common image in their relationship. Ah, it's, oh my god. But, but... Still, you know that they are not expecting to see him walk out of that river. They think he's dead. Even Annabeth, who's like, I would know if he's alive. Like, there's so little hope there. You know it. If I had seen that boy after all of that happened and all that past trauma was relived for me, if I had seen that boy walk up out of that river and then just look at me awkwardly and say hi, I, Annabeth's better than me because I would have pushed him back in that river. Like, what do you mean? (laughs) You just 
absolute Hades out of me. Like, shut up right now. Oh my gosh. And then the hug. The that- hug. Oh my gosh. And Grover. <laughs> the third wheeling begins. So. <laughs> the third wheeling begins. I- oh my gosh. We it have is to the talk. most third wheel stuff I've ever seen, and it is hilarious. And look, Grover, I've been there. I get you, bro. <laughs> uh, we have to talk about how they're developing Persebeth because, listen, I've seen some people gripe that it's developing too fast. There's too many hints at it. But, but, listen, guys, in a book, it's a lot easier for it just to be in like Percy's head of like him developing this crush for Annabeth, and you realize it slowly throughout the books. When you're in person, and I like this because it's realistic. When you're in person and in real life, crushes form faster usually than they do in a book series. Right. And that's reflected in your interactions with each other. Even if you do try to hide it, it is reflected in your interactions with each other. And I, this feels very natural to me of like, yeah, these kiddos would probably form little crushes on each other, even though they are building up their friendship. Absolutely no. We're not disregarding the friendship. The friendship is the strongest foundation Persebeth has. They're building into right, a friendship. But right. they're also absolutely playing on the fact that these two are developing small little crushes with each other. And even if it isn't quite book accurate, I think it is more realistic. And I agree with the choice. Absolutely 100% agree. I think that you have to adjust for different mediums. Mm-hmm. And it is much easier to do a convincing slow burn because I guarantee that they haven't done much. And then all of a sudden in the last Olympian, they're confessing their love. People would have had yes. complaints too. So establishing that bond early and then getting to have the slow burn and them realizing it, that's the slow burn part, is brilliant. Yes. Exactly. It's not, they are not going to be kissing by like, season three like calm down people they're not they're not gonna ruin the slow burn of Persebeth. they're not gonna be like okay time to kiss titan's curse let's go no rick i think that's oh one thing gosh. Rick absolutely would never change so it's like right chill, right chill it'll still be a slow burn just like what katie said though it's gonna be more realization of those feelings which is book accurate because you know what Percy has a crush on Annabeth by Sea of Monsters. I will fight people. And he starts oh, 100%. to- percent And just like Sophie Foster, he denies that until the Battle of the Labyrinth. Oh my the gosh. Battle Speaking of, the of Labyrinth. Sophie Foster and Sokeef. So- okay, if you listen to our other podcasts, specifically the Keeper of the Lost Cities podcast, which is where the character Sophie Foster in the ship Sokeef is mm-hmm. from, if you're not familiar, you know- that we love Sokeef. And <laughs> the vibes were vibing this episode. The energy was there. And I just... Oh. And live-action Persevest is exactly how I picture live-action Sokeef looking. Sokeef. Okay, Katie and I both had this thought, too. We didn't even have to confer over this. Do you know why? If you haven't read Keeper of the Lost Cities, highly recommend. Go read them. But anyways, Sophie and Keith, the main thing throughout the books that really hints at their really, really strong relationship is the fact that these two kids cannot stop touching each other for two fucking hours <laughs> before. Because I got so heated. For two the freaking intimacy. seconds. intimacy. Child- like, intimacy in an appropriate, a child-appropriate way. Right, right, right. To be perfectly clear. But still, like, they're very close in a way that you can tell. They're not going to grow up and remain friends. They never stop holding hands or they never stop throwing arms around each other's shoulders. He, like, 
they are constantly touching and oh my god the way i just kept getting like someone punched me in the face like every time Percy and Annabeth touched in episode five because it was like it just was so so keep coded because they literally kept touching each other i like the amount of times Annabeth would tap Percy's shoulder to get him to move like they're helping each other stand i was like what what is going like oh my god that last episode four changed their entire dynamic and now they are settling into that the so keep of it all of like I trust this person so much, I just constantly seek them out for tactile comfort, and it's just, oh my god, it is perfect. It's perfect. It's so good to show, like, small little tiny crushes. And trust! Yeah! And, and trust! Just, like, not only that, but the banter, the trust, oh. as you mentioned, the emotional support, and also the self-sacrificial nature of the boy- like constantly sacrificing and putting himself in harm's way to save others like mm -hmm. not just the female love interest but others in general mm -hmm. very much keeps sense in and there is a okay there is a moment later on in the keeper of the lost city series that is so parallel to percy sitting in that chair it is uncanny like no spoilers, I need, but there is. I need an artist to make this connection and draw this immediately. It has been causing brain rot the entire past two weeks, like or Percy? the entire last week. You know, just I, mm -hmm. I can't. Percy Jackson also taking a as they're walking, and he's like, "My father actually showed he cared." Like showing so much hope and being like, "Maybe I need to start taking this more seriously." I really like how they built on this. But it also, also, okay, I have to mention this. I'm so sorry. But the way Annabeth said, you know, the banter where she's like, don't even try to be rude about this. And he was like, I wasn't going to say anything. And, he, and she goes, I can feel you thinking it. If that is not Sophie freaking Foster, who is a, if you don't know, a telepath who canonically her telepathy works very much like empathy because mm. there's, there's rules to telepathy in the series. But like, she can feel what Keith is thinking mm -hmm. all the goddamn time. So that is just such a Sophie Foster line, and it killed uh. me, alongside it just being great Annabeth's character accurate banter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I also just love Percy and Annabeth. It is book accurate still of, like, because in the books, no, they don't necessarily form crushes right away, but, like, everything around them is trying to, like, Aphrodite has them on strings, almost, like, sending them <laughs> through the thrill ride of love. Like, they're not commenting on it, but in the books, Percy is like, I cannot believe this is happening right now. <laughs> like, why? By the way, if I, the world would have to perish. If oh I my gosh, 12, I know. If I, at 12, was told the world will end or... Or you can get on a ride called the Thrill Ride of Love with a 12-year-old boy. I don't even have to know the boy. I don't even have to have a crush on the boy. You tell my 12-year-old self, me, to sit next to a 12-year-old boy going down a ride called the Thrill Ride of Love. I'm letting the world burn. Yes. <laughs> the mortification. Those kids are stronger than I could ever be. I may, because of my, you know, A-spec muted feelings, like I can handle those situations pretty well, but I would have lasted until the first note of what is love played, and then I would have jumped off the freaking boat. <laughs> I'm jumping in the water. I will get hit by the next boat coming yes. after me. I don't care. I'll take, like, the brain damage. I don't care. Get me off this ride. 
Oh my god, but we're jumping ahead. We're jumping ahead. We said we were gonna. The melodrama of it all. The sacrifice (sighs) and Percy said. Oh, okay. Okay, that's later in the episode. Do you want to talk about the Aries stuff first? Especially with Grover. I was gonna say. Aries, but also before even that, when Aries first shows up. And these kids just hide behind the barrier and hide behind, like they pop their heads up to speak to him and then duck right back behind it as if that is such a middle school. They look like gophers popping in and out of their holes. (laughs) That is such a middle school reaction, and it was peak, like peak character moments, like so good. Was dying. I cackled. And I'm just picturing Percy, like, after Annabeth was like, that's not a car, it's a bike. I'm just picturing Percy in his head being like, I don't know why, but I suddenly feel very angry all of a sudden as Aries approaches, because they have such hardcore beef. beef. And he hasn't even when- met him yet, but Percy just has a feeling. Spoilers <laughs> for Son of Neptune, spoilers for Heroes of Olympus, but, like, Percy Jackson- Oh, that's one of the few things he remembers. Percy Jackson remembers three things when his memories are stolen. He remembers his name, he remembers his girlfriend, and he remembers that he hates Ares, God of War. Like, they couldn't <laughs> wipe it from his memory Petty how much he hates King. this man. Petty King, what can I say? They, somehow, his beef with Ares transcended Hera's memory wipe. It is still to this day one of the funniest choices Rick has ever made so I'm just with his picturing character. That, like, this, this premonition of just, I feel somebody who is no good is coming along on that bike. Like, the, the spidey senses are going off for him! <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. god. Okay, first things first. Simple comment. We both made this joke on our live blogging. Um, the Twitter joke. Oh my god. Oh my gosh. Perfection. Perfect. Like, Perfect, modernized writing choice right there. Because, yes, had this book been written in whatever year or after that Twitter was created, that Twitter launched, Rick would have written Ares as being a Twitter troll and starting fights on the horrific bird app. Like, absolutely. He'd be in fandom wars. But he would be. He'd be like, have one account, for example, he'd have one account that's like a Zutara blog, he'd have another one that's an that's a uh, Zucka blog, and he'd have another one that's a Katang blog, and he'd just start <laughs> fighting himself to stoke everyone else into, like, like, this man, that's absolutely what he's doing. He's got, like, different shipping blogs or something, he's just, or politics, he's in politics, he's everywhere, he's everywhere. Uh, okay, so this actor, Adam Copeland, who... Our friend Sam at the Talking Sam podcast follows wrestling and he knows this guy and he was so excited to see his performance. So I hope it lived up to your hopes and dreams, Sam. I loved it. Sam is also reacting to every single episode right after it comes out. So go check out his YouTube channel. I'll link it below. But I loved his performance. I love this. It's like he's on a nice edge of sanity is what I said in my comments on it. Just totally Mm -hmm. psychotic. Almost like just it reeks of this man survives off of conflict, even without the Twitter comment. You can just and he's there's a conflict crazy. within him. He's crazy. Yeah. There's conflict within him embodied in this god. It's I he's the best god we've seen so far. Agreed. And I didn't think Lynn Manuel Miranda did a bad job. Absolutely not, which we can get into in the sixth yeah. episode. That was not People my issues hating. with 
Yeah, that was not my issue with the sixth episode. No. And then we have to talk about Grover playing mental was... manipulation and mind games on Aries. Before we go to that, Gabe Ugliano. If oh. we're linear, they... Why does he still seem kind of goofy to me? I don't know. No, he does! I'm with you on that. I just, like, it doesn't feel genuine. Whereas in the books, he is such a horrific human being. It's coming from this... <sighs> genuine place of I hatred and loathing feel, for this boy? I don't feel bad for him, but I just don't get complete slime ball. And no. Like, he just, I don't know if it was the direction, because it's not the actor. I think the actor's doing, like, a pretty good job with the line delivery and things like that. I don't know if it's the direction. And yes, I, I do understand that, like, he is neglectful. We We did see him being neglectful. He is controlling of Sally and, like, her phone the car like I understand that it's just something in the directing with Gabe especially it's not menacing I don't know it's no like, it's, it's not whereas in the book he feels like a threat like a yes, genuine this, threat he's too this, soft he's too muted he's almost greedier like here he's greedy like he's a slime mm. ball still like he's he's greedy and you can tell he's selfish and that like he's gonna throw Percy under the bus like I get that I'm not saying he's not a bad person in this adaptation like he's still very clearly is a bad person it's just in a very different way than what i am expecting like i'm not rooting right. for him by any means i don't like him he's still a slime ball he still threw his stepson under the bus obviously and he's lazy and arrogant but it's just not i don't know i don't know what it is that i'm just not it's like you said i'm not threatened by this man at all yeah i don't know but it's just off and but the the difference between this and the other things that are off or at the very least changed from the books is the rest have been changed to the medium's benefit for the story. Yeah. Whereas this just feels off in general, not for any right. purpose. Right. It just for some reason I just they didn't nail this. And it's not the act like I really don't have a problem with the actor. I it's something this is the one thing where I think maybe the directing was maybe I don't know, a little iffy on, yeah. I don't know if they tried to tone it down. I can't tell, but I did love Walker's, like, Walker's line of, I'm going to kill him. That was, like, not, that was so natural. That's, like, when my sister Casey bugs the heck out of me, and I'm like, I'm going to strangle her. Like, and you're, yeah. like, you're joking, but you're also a little bit not. You're like, I'm going to strangle her. Like, it wasn't overacted. Like, he I did know, it perfectly like where I was, like... That was perfect line delivery. That's exactly yes. how a kid says that nowadays. Another favorite moment with Aries following that is the look Annabeth gives him. <laughs> like, both uh, her... This, in the end of the episode, which we'll get to, just highlight how insane these two are to look at the god of war like that. Or in Percy's case, it's even more extreme. B! But oof! You want to talk about impertinent? Woo! We'll get there at the end. But it's also so funny hearing everyone say how much Ares could kill them or like Ares threatening to kill them when I know for a fact he's about to get punked by this 12 year old in his pen. Yeah! Like, it's so <laughs> funny watching it and knowing exactly how this encounter ends and just being like, hey, you're about to get punked by oh this 12 year old boy. Well, he already got punked by a 24 year old satyr. <laughs> 
And playing mental mind games and manipulation with him. I mean, it was like Ares was playing checkers and Grover was playing like elite chess. Yes. I mean, like, that is how that Grover conversation was operating. Mentioning like the, the lobster war, like the 300 year war. Like Grover just mentioning all these obscure wars and being like, I like the deep cuts. I couldn't breathe. I was dying. Well, and just in being a casual fanboy of Ares and talking about the violence of nature, it was such a good way to make him seem more morally gray to new viewers. I know. I thought it too. I was like, ooh! They're doing so good balancing that. Like, they're balancing yes. it so well. And Grover also, they're showing that even if he's doing this for Percy, which by the end it's revealed that, oh, he's doing this so he can, like, tell them who stole the boat. Like, but... It's showing how shrewd he can be. Yes. Like, he's not yes. a fool. It's it's no. showing, it's, it's giving those little character moments that we don't get from him in the book. Because, again, we're, we're in Percy's point of view. When mm -hmm. Percy's not with them, there's so much potential. And I'm so glad that they're, that they're festering that. Like, they're like, we don't see Grover and Ares interact after Percy and Annabeth go into that tunnel of love. Let's, let's throw it in there. Let's have some fun with this, you know? Right. And they did it they just fitted it in seamlessly. I loved it. Okay, now let's go back to the absolute cinematic masterpiece that is Tunnel of Love. Well, before that, I just, I want to point out two things. First of mm -hmm. all, Grover explicitly ignoring Annabeth's warnings to not engage Ares and once uh -huh. again, engaging him in a tactical game of mental-emotional chess. But also, Grover, the parallel of Grover telling Percy not to stand up to bullies, and then the ending? <laughs> like, Ugh. oh my gosh. But yes, back to Percibeth, the tunnel of love. Okay, first of all, <laughs> they are such a- Luke is so correct in episode six, because I was thinking it, them being such an old married couple. Oh my whole gosh, scene, yes. When- He's trying to push through, and she's like, stop, and she won't give him a straight answer, and he's like, oh, fascinating, Annabeth, what is happening right now? Like, it's so, he delivered that line, so boyfriend-coded, it was oh. hilarious, it was so Percy-coded. Yeah, but then you have these lines that are, like, you know, funny and addressing their developing relationship, like, mm -hmm. Percy saying, um... It doesn't have to be a thing, you know, that you hugged me. And in my head, I'm just like, omniscient narrator, it would most definitely become a thing. But a also, thing. in quotations, a thing. But also, Percy saying, that's the thing friends do. At least I think they do. There's these, like, uh, lines like those that actually cut so deep when you think about the context and the further implications that the Percy's subtle never acting had of friends. These kids. And this is... Once again, speaking to the neurodivergent child experience mm -hmm. in public school systems and things like that. And it's so yep. tragic and such a good, subtle way to address that part of his character and how lonely he was leading up to this point. The subtle acting is so good. There's, an, there's a moment in episode six that I'll get to and the subtleties around it. So good. Another parallel. Aries saying the gods will push anyone down a flight of stairs to get ahead. And it is not a coincidence Percy. that that line followed the end of episode four where Percy did the same thing but for the opposite selfless mm -hmm. reason. Just things well, like that. You know, I... No, no, no. The writing but, is brilliant. But also... Percy saying Annabeth would push him down a flight of stairs to yes. to help the quest. 
And it's proven, actually, at the end of this episode that Annabeth doesn't want to be like that. So Aerys saying that's what the gods are like, Percy said in episode three, that's what Annabeth is like. Annabeth saying at the end of this episode to Hephaestus, I don't want to be like that. It's it's chef's uh, kiss. Masterpiece. Yes. Yes. So the tunnel of love scene was, first of all, I want them to build this ride at Disney. Mm-hmm. I just want that to be a thing. I loved the subtle way that when, what is love? Um, sorry, I had to sing that. <laughs> it's so good. My sister did a dance to that song for one of her dance classes, actually. Mm. But, um, the subtle way they looked at each other when the other wasn't looking, when they were they on were so there, I'm just like- Embarrassed. I'm just like, I see you uh, and your little No, crushes. but that whole scene, them, the talk they're having- on the way through, and then them falling out of it, jumping out of it, and Percy using his powers for the first real time where he's trying to control it to save Annabeth, but also, I completely, why did I completely forget this boy had water powers? It's been so long in the show. <laughs> you mentioned this, I him. did not. <laughs> I completely forgot for some reason, because in the show, we haven't really seen him use them, and when he has, it's been like, without his control of it, and so, I just, for some reason, it was just like, huh, that's, they're gonna have to swim their way out of this one, I guess. When he raised his hand and water shot out, I was like, oh my god, I forgot he can do that. <laughs> like, was completely taken aback. I was like, well, I, was I like think cranky. part of it is because they didn't do the fountain properly in episode one, I showing know. water powers. Like, that would have created a thread from episode one to the toilet bathroom scene. Mm-hmm. to him learning that he can breathe underwater at the end of episode four, and then this, like, it would have created a through line, you know? But it, I know. But oh yeah, I was gosh. just like, I was like, Frankie, you've read every book this man has ever written. Like, <laughs> you followed Percy since you were 12, his age in the show, and you forgot that the boy can summon water at will. And I was like, of course I did. But anyway, no, that whole scene so good that he uses the water for the first time on purpose to save her yep and then do you want to talk about Hephaestus I'm so happy they casted that man because I saw a lot of people complaining that he was too good looking and you know what they cast a disabled actor to play a disabled character and that is 100% correct that is what you should do yes and my favorite part of his performance was one of his lines where he promised Annabeth that she'd be a hero and appealed directly to her fatal flaw, to her mm-hmm. pride, and she still chose Percy. Like, she still Percy? immediately, after he sat in that chair, instead of grabbing the shield, went to work on disabling it. And then, okay, we have to talk about him sitting in the chair itself. And sitting his, in the chair! And then his- The line. I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. He is trying so hard not to panic for her, mm-hmm. trying to be strong He's for not just her. saying that to her, he's saying it to himself. He is terrified. That boy was terrified. The acting by Walker. I honestly, that's the best his acting's been. Yes, that the look on his face, hands 100%. Down, hands down, the best acting, the best line delivery he has had in all six episodes so far. It was so well done. I didn't even have words Him, first of all, it's so sad that he just thinks it's gotta be me who sacrifices myself because I'm not gonna make it. I can't do this. I'm being hunted. My life is forfeit. That is so sad. 
And then to sit there and just take that, that's terrifying. The thought of just being entrenched in gold and staying that way forever, terrifying. And his I'm okay, Annabeth's face. Oh my God, that scene, it was, I think it was honestly like the best acted in the best written like scene. Yes, their performances were phenomenal. I, they are incredibly (sighs) talented. And if anyone is questioning the choices they made for this cast at this point. Oh my god. I have no words. Get out. Get out. They're doing so well. You clearly have no media or narrative comprehension skills. You you just want to be judgmental because you're stuck up that it doesn't match the book descriptions for every character and you need to grow up. The people arguing that they're out of character, I would like them to sit down with me so I can have a long talk with them and point at book quotes and point at like book descriptions and character descriptions of these characters for like the actual characterization because the people who say that they're not acting in character with their book counterparts I don't know what the heck show they're watching yeah and then even just like the visual casting complaints like Hephaestus I love that he's a pretty normal looking middle-aged white-haired dude that is He's almost giving, like, the mechanic from Avatar The Last Airbender. Yeah. And, like, I love that he's not huge and buff, and I love that he is played by a disabled stroke survivor. They went with the tinkerer approach instead of, like, the hard metal worker approach. And you yes, know what? I thought it worked works. really well. Yeah. For the softer side of this god, when we have just seen Ares, the juxtaposition of that. Like, it's yeah. like, it works really really well it does and exactly he has that cane isn't for show the cane he uses in the show that's not for show he had an awful stroke survived it and is now disabled because of it like people they did the right thing here (laughs) yes thank you absolutely and they did not play on any ableist tropes of oh he's so ugly because he's disabled or disfigured Mm -hmm. and I really, really appreciate that. Appreciate that. Thank you. Like, my God, can we stop villainizing, like, the disabled community and making them just the butt of every joke? Like, it doesn't need to happen anymore. (laughs) Yeah. As a disabled person myself, now, I'm not physically disabled per se, but I am mentally disabled, and I also am built a certain shorter, stockier way because of some conditions that I have. And I have been made fun of for that. I've I've been told I will never find love because of how I'm built. I've been told that my conditions, the traits that I get from my medical complications are negative. Mm -hmm. That I will get nowhere in life. That I'm not deserving of love. That I'm ugly. That I'm worthless. So seeing disability representation of any sort, even though I'm not technically physically disabled in you know, the, like, I have full function of my limbs and everything mm-hmm. means a lot. And yeah. if you've listened to the Keeper podcast, you probably know that I have Turner Syndrome, which is what I've been referring to. And mm. I'm under five feet tall because of it, which I have been brutally bullied for my entire life since middle school. And I am not exactly thin. I'm stockier. I'm, you know, I'm built different than the average, what is considered attractive by society is what I'm getting at. And that has greatly impacted my life. And I see play out how more conventionally attractive people are treated by society compared to someone like me. 
And that is very reminiscent and similar to some of what disabled people go with, especially visually disabled people being treated mm. poorly and more negatively. Or they get the benign prejudice of being coddled and talked down to and acting Ugh. like they can't do anything for themselves. And, you know, that one I, is infuriating. It's it's all infuriating, but acting yeah. as if disabled people can't have full functioning lives or mm-hmm. or be independent or just all of that it's oh it is infuriating as someone who works with disabled people that is my job I worked I work with disabled children and sometimes when I'm subbing at school I work with a lot of disabled kids as well I worked yep, with one disabled all summer children I sometimes work with disabled adults when they need me to fill in for certain uh, places and companies. Uh, so it's just in the first thing they tell you about is respect and respecting the people you work with and work for because they deserve everyone is a human being that deserves respect. Thank you very much. Boggles my mind. So yes, we're very, very happy that Hephaestus was cast by a disabled actor. Yes. Or as it was cast and the casting was a disabled actor. Sorry, I no, I my I, words were not computing. I got what uh. you were saying, and I think all the listeners got what you were yeah. saying. <laughs> um, so on that note, after getting real, I would like to shout out uh, the person on Tumblr. I can't find their user who I made a post saying someone needs to edit the Lumity Tunnel of Love song over the Percivest scene, <laughs> and someone freaking did it. Have you heard the Lumity Tunnel of Love song? Frankie. I think I have, yes. Another thing I would like to address is the pipeline from episode 3 to episode 5 of episode 3 Persebeth being I would kill for you with that conversation (sighs) of she offered me this, what did you do? I killed her sister. She offered me this, what did you do? I cut off her head. To episode 5 Persebeth being I would die for you. Like, there's a reason Hera took Percy and not Annabeth. (laughs) There's a reason. Oh my god, there's a reason. There's a good reason. <laughs> I just was thinking and of that. And that's the nature of their fatal flaws playing out. You, I'm sorry, I need to rant about this for two seconds because I've seen people argue against this. If the gods had taken Annabeth Chase, <laughs> uh, you want to see villain Percy? Oh my god, if the gods oh. had taken He's storming Olympus, and I don't want people telling me he's not powerful enough to do it. Because the boy is, he dumped Hera in a lake of, like, dirty water, because he was was already irritated. Like, if she'd stolen Annabeth and he'd figured it out, they wouldn't have had to wait for Leo to make the Argo 2. They could have, Percy would have gone there on Blackjack and destroyed things. Anyway, sorry. I just had to say it, because I've always thought it, and it's just hilarious to me, but... You know yes, what? Great that, point. That's valid. It's very, very true. <laughs> Hera, for what I've it's worth, seen... Hera has some sense of self-preservation. <laughs> no, I seriously, I seriously, because if you think of the camp leader, it is Percy, but it's also equally Annabeth. Like, they very equally share, like, camp leader role for right. Camp Half-Blood. Hera could have chosen either of them to take, and she chose Percy Jackson for a reason. I'm just Oh, yes. For multiple reasons. Anyways, oh, yes. anyways, another thing I, I've i seen people say as well, and this is interesting, that if Luke had waited a couple years 
Percy would have joined him. And I find that such an interesting take. I don't know if it, if I agree with it or if I disagree. I don't know. But I think it's such an interesting take on the characters. Yeah, absolutely. So to go back to the brilliant yes. addition that is the high melodrama was supposed to best in that chair. First of all, I mm-hmm. love the Midas' touch reference. Like he almost turned to gold. Perfection. Mm-hmm amazing greek mythology reference but it was also like mechanical and just like it was so cool and walker posted a picture of him posing with it with the statue i know i saw the behind the scenes of him picking it up and like dead lifting it and i was like that's could you have found someone who is more Percy Jackson than Walker? I Sobel? know. I, I don't know. think you could. I know. I love also at the end, at the very end, when Grover, oh, sweet baby boy Grover, he did his best, but I love how when he's like, I know who stole the lightning bolt. I was like, he did not. No. Under any circumstances, <laughs> know who stole the lightning bolt. Like, I, for no seconds, was worried. I was like, oh, that's so funny that you think that that's you think cute. <laughs> That's adorable. <laughs> so you think that, sweetheart? <laughs> I saw people being worried after that episode. People were like, oh my god, what if he actually did figure it out? I can't believe Rick would do that. And I was like, guys, I promise you. From I will like, what do you want me to bet? Do you want me to bet my soul? I will bet my soul that, <laughs> that Grover did not figure this out. Oh my gosh. But what I was going to say is them establishing the foundation of their friendship and Annabeth explicitly saying, I'm not leaving here without my friend. Excuse me. But then also in her speech to Hephaestus, we already see the beginning of Percy inspiring Annabeth to rethink her worldview in her Mm -hmm. saying, I don't want to be that way anymore. He's isn't yep. that way, and I don't want to be that way anymore. He's making her question. And what's so heartbreaking to see is that, especially in the next episode, which we'll get to, he doesn't think he's that smart. He thinks he's so inferior to her at this point in time. She when doesn't think that. She, she jokes, doesn't think that. She, she values that. his moral compass. She values his input. She values his perspective. Yep. All of it. Even in episode three. Their main thing of conflict is her not understanding why he can't understand how powerful he is and how much potential he has. Like, she sees that potential. She's seen it since episode three. Now it's just had time to build. To quickly go back to Grover and Ares, the contrast of Grover being a mediator, a constant mediator, but also Mm. a mediator who like daydreams about the violence of nature and freaking outwits the god of war like it's very different from the books but it is so good for his character it's still in character it's great it is it wasn't explicitly in the books like it is in the show but it's so fitting to expand his character with it's in the context of the books right right and you know i love that this is the same character who two episodes ago was singing the consensus song. Like, that is range if I have ever seen it. They both can be true. You know, like, they're both so fitting. Like, they are both correct. You, they, It doesn't have to be one or the other. It's so good. Before we move on to episode six, because we have been recording for 45 minutes, almost, do you want to talk about the very ending and Percy full out being literally insane and looking oh. 
Aries in the eye. And Walker's performance here. Oh my god. You made some posts that was like, I think this kid needs to be put on a watch list. For me, it was this moment. Not the Gabriel Gugliano moment, but this moment paired with it that was like, this kid is dangerous. <laughs> I all out looks the god of war. The god of war straight in the eye, steps up to him and threatens him. Like Gruber and Annabeth had to put a hand on his chest and put him in the truck. I <laughs> this child, he's insane. Legitimately insane. What has made you think you can take this man? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. It was Ares being the ultimate bully. I'm just picturing that meme of Grover holding up a sign. Don't stand up to bullies. Holds up a second time sign. Excuse me. Especially when said bullies the literal god of war. And Percy's dyslexic ass just being like, those signs can't stop me because I can't read. I can't read. <laughs> it's, no, legitimately... I know that we know Percy defeats Ares. Percy absolutely has no context or reason to think he can beat the God of War in a fight. He no! beat Ares once. He beat the Minotaur once. The Minotaur, who was a spawn of the gods, basically, but not an actual god. These are all powerful, like, almost all-knowing beings. Even if Ares is a little crazy, he is still a god. And so it's just like, oh... My, like, child, you're insane. And I did say he would get put in a watch list because, again, let's just bring this up. In the books, Percy is a wanted criminal multiple times. (laughs) And, like, it happens multiple times. He blows up a school in the fourth book. Like, this is not just a one-and-done type thing. Percy is, like, a wanted terrorist multiple times in these books. And it's always always been a missed opportunity to me that in HOO, Leo or Piper were never, like, Wait, Percy Jackson? You mean the kid that was, like, on the news every other year for, like, (laughs) terrorism? Like, like this made the news. This was on headlines. Yes! (laughs) But, yeah, I think we have to move on now. We've been talking for almost 50 minutes. We have to... The anticipation to this episode was palpable. People had their theories up that the Lotus Casino sequence would be a musical, I didn't have my hopes up. I didn't think it would really fit with the tone they've established. And I'm happy it wasn't. That being said, it is my, and I learned this when Frankie and I were talking before we hit record, our least favorite episode thus far. I think the Lotus Casino sequence could have been much more well realized. It just didn't feel right to me. Three reasons why I think it felt off. One, they have started to tell and not show. Every time they, they, the whole point in the books, and even in the movie, this is going to be controversial. The movie did it better. I'm sorry. The Lotus Casino sequence, 100%. 100%, the movie did this sequence better because here's the whole point of the Lotus Hotel and Casino. You are not supposed to know what the hell is going on. And they're doing a bit of tell and not showing here when... The kids immediately mm-hmm. walk up and know everything. Like, I was fine when they did it with Medusa's. I understood it was to save time. I was fine when they did it with some of the other things where they immediately knew what they were up against without having to wait and think about it. But with this one, it just really immediately took the plot somewhere. It didn't need to go where they were like, oh, that's the hotel. That's the Lotus Hotel. That means that, like, don't eat any food. You're going to get caught in the web. It took 
all it took what could have been almost like a mystery ask like yeah creepy tone of what this episode could have been made it really atmospheric and it just immediately was like oh okay and it kind of sucked the air out of the room yeah and look i'm not as upset about poker face as a lot of people no no that was a joke yeah i think that needed to stay there just in the movie and be iconic to that Mm -hmm. but there were aspects of the movie that i liked so much better like the visualization of the casino for one the kids getting to be kids in them like it would have been so cool if they these kids are placed in the middle of a freaking theme park they're adhd kids i know they're on a quest but even annabeth which should balk at this for one second who's been at a camp her whole life has never gotten to experience this like by letting them know immediately that this is the Lotus Casino and that the Lotus Eaters are here, you're taking away those really fun moments in the books where, like, these kids, like, get to be kids. And then, the again, the atmosphere of if they're walking around and they're seeing people from all different time periods. And it's like, ooh, the audience can be like, what is going on? And then Percy talks to someone from a different time period and figures it out slowly, slowly, slowly. And it's like a dream sequence almost. Like, and I'm someone who doesn't like dream sequences. Like, I don't like them. But, like, it would have fit so well here in the tone. It's supposed they went to feel for. trippy, like a bit of yeah. a drug trip almost. Yes. No, it is. And they had the idea there, and they had a good idea when they made the lotus flowers be dispersed through the air. That was a good idea. Right. But they didn't make it feel like it was. Percy and Annabeth seemed fine. It was so easy. They didn't play off that. There were no stakes. Give a sense of foreboding. Thank you. There was like, there was no stakes that by the time we got to the end and they were like, oh my God, the solstice has passed, which one was shocking just because the solstice passed, but I didn't feel it. Like I did not feel it. I was like, okay, great. Because they just, I don't know. They really missed the mark on this one for me. Like, this sixth episode is the first time where I was really like, they missed the mark here. Like, they really missed the mark here. And that's not to say that there aren't aspects that I liked. Right. Like, Luke's comment about Persebeth at the beginning? Amazing. The the (laughs) beginning and the end were the best parts. The beginning. Yes. Which isn't what it should be with the Lotus Hotel and Casino. It should be such a good atmospheric episode. But but anyway, the beginning, first of all, we need to stop ranting and and just like talk linearly again because Percy has a dream and we see, we don't see who's talking because it comes out of the voice of his principal, his ex-principal, but we know who's talking and we know who he's talking to and Oh my god, the subtle manipulation. Again, I don't know if you're still here or why you would be if you haven't read the books because I've given you fair warning. Kronos talking to Luke and saying, pretty much telling him he's just as replaceable. You're replaceable. You don't want to disappoint me. What do you think will happen if you disappoint me? And just, oh my god, you! I, I love Luke Castellan so much. And I feel so bad yeah. for Luke Castellan. And just that scene of like, and you can see his silhouette. Like, they hit it a bit, but you can see a silhouette, and oh my god! Yeah, that was a great way to start it, and that immediately being followed by those interactions in the back of the van. Calling Luke! I know that man's heart dropped when they were like, we know who the light... (laughs) 
Uh, that man was I loved your post. I was like, don't be suspicious. Mm-hmm. Don't be suspicious. I, did. I made a post and I was like, Luke's internal monologue, don't be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. And you saw it play out in his eyes. Charlie's so good because you see the moment where he's like, stay calm. Be calm. Don't react. Oh my gosh. And then the old married couple comment is obviously golden. I mean, because they genuinely were like, the banter talking about like, no, it was Saturday. Monday you died in a river. And just like, I love how that uh, calls out the nature of particularly middle grade adventures and what it would feel like for these kids mm-hmm. chapter after chapter to be dealing with a different danger. Like, you know, Percy's just like, yeah, my days of the week are marked by which monster, which time mm-hmm. I almost died. Like, that really reflected that and i was, really like it i think that whole luke scene was so well done and they're talking about how the demigods are taking sides they're reminding us a war is coming which is needed because again i think that is one thing they also have dropped the ball and like i keep like i keep forgetting that a war is coming like they're not really amping the stakes up the stakes aren't that high Especially by the end of episode six, like, you just don't feel that much. Like, I've loved most parts of this adaptation, but I can recognize its flaws, and one of its flaws is that, like, you really don't feel the stakes. They really are building on character, which I appreciate, but, like, I'm not feeling the stakes of this war at all. (laughs) Mm -hmm. There are little things once they get to the Lotus Casino that I do like, though. One of them being Lin-Manuel Miranda's performance as this god being. I loved it. I mean... I thought he captured that so well. It was still Lin-Manuel Miranda, but adjusted to the character. It's... People are giving it so much flack, and it's like, guys, at this point, I know Lin has done some things that weren't his best, but he's also an amazing writer, producer. He's really good at acting. Like, the man knows his stuff, and all of you who are still hung up on it are just mad that Hamilton was so, like everywhere in 2015-16, you know? It's a case of overexposure. Yes, it is. It's a case of overexposure, but it's like, guys, he did good. Like, he did good with this role. He did a solid. (laughs) I cannot believe they brought up Mae Costello in this early, though. Oh, I know. I was like, what? Like, they're... I don't know how I feel about that. Again, I don't know how... I like the other things that they hinted at, but that almost felt risky to me. That's... Why does Annabeth know about Mae Costellan? Like, that's not something Luke ever tells her. She doesn't know no. that story. They don't know that she was an oracle. Luke just thinks she went insane. No one knows, except for Hermes, that she was supposed to be an oracle. And that it drove and her th- insane. And they're going to have to work around that change now in The Last Olympian in later books. And I wonder how they're going to do it. I don't know why they did it. They Annabeth could have just said something went wrong with his mom because of his dad, but yeah. he won't tell me what. Like, that's all you need to sow that seed of, like, Luke blames Hermes for something. Like, that's all. You didn't need to drop her name, and you didn't need to say that she was the freaking, like, seer. And then it almost, okay, this was actually one benefit that came from that about Annabeth knowing more about Luke's past, I will say it did allow for her whole speech to Hermes to be so devastating. Because in this interpretation, it's almost like she, deep down she knows. Mm-hmm. And she has the pieces and refuses to put them together because yeah. of the implications. Like, she talks about how he blames Hermes and hates him. She's laying out 
the prime candidate of a person who would have stolen the Master Bolt. And she here we are. A, and she... He's a son of Hermes, god of thieves. As I said in my post, was is in Arthur and BBC's Merlin levels of denial over it. And it's freaking so tragic that she's blinding herself to this. And that's going to make the final betrayal sting even more. And I think it's going to make that scene at the end that Leah teased. Ugh so powerful yeah. so i will advocate for that part but i think there i think you're correct and that there was a vaguer way to do it to build that up yeah and get the same result without bringing up may and all the implications that has well in hermes as well lynn with hermes was you still see it even though they're trying to make the gods sympathetic they're also trying to keep you understanding that the gods kind of suck like hermes yeah. continuously saying like almost in a way being self-pitying and it's not that he doesn't have reasons to be but it's that you're talking to kids who i wouldn't care if i were annabeth the person i'd be like you need to stop complaining about this you are a god you have all been awful parents no matter the reasons even if you think that you're hurting your children by getting close to them like you're hurting them either way almost stop having kids it's like stop having children you can control that at least. Like, I don't know. They're still, even though I think they're doing this purposefully where they were like, they were making Hermes sympathetic while simultaneously reminding everyone the fact that the gods are shit parents. Yeah. And I think Lynn did really well at that. Yeah, he did. Other small things that I really liked during the Lotus Casino. Getting the first wise girl nickname comment. Uh, that was Wise girl and seaweed brain. We didn't talk about it. She called him seaweed brain. Again. In five and six, the seaweed brain drop. I screamed. I wasn't expecting another that early. It was kind of like the water thing where I forgot. Like, because I just, I didn't want to expect too much. And so I just wasn't, I wasn't expecting them to call each other that. And then it happened. I was like, oh my God. Oh my gosh. And the deliveries of it were perfection. Uh, and then, I, this is a small thing. I really love how Percy mentioned that his mom had him read or showed him the graphic novel version of the Odyssey. Mm -hmm. Because here's the thing. I work at a school yep. where we have a lot of kids who struggle with reading comprehension and with dyslexia and just with reading in general, and they turn to graphic novels. And I have worked in a lot of different classrooms as a para. This is different from my retail job, which is a whole... I also have worked for retail. It's a whole thing. But I'm mm -hmm. back at school now. And I very recently have seen in various teachers' classrooms graphic novel editions of The Odyssey. And Sally giving Percy... And you know this was the thinking behind the comment. Mm-hmm an accessible way to learn the Greek yep. stories that were so important to him that was friendly to his dyslexia. Yep. I adore that. It was so I, small, but it ran so, the comment ran so deep for me. Another thing I loved at the beginning of this episode was, again, when Luke says the married couple thing, it's so, it's so perfect. And Walker, again, the line delivery of, not to change the subject, but I'm gonna, was like, so, I was, ca I cackled, like, I full on, like, oh, yeah. just cackled, paused the show, like, laughed my heart out at that line delivery. And also, it's so accurate because it's like, yeah, Percy Jackson and his inability to talk about his feelings concerning Annabeth Chase has started. Thank you very much. Let's all take a moment to celebrate and prepare for five years <laughs> of complete and total obliviousness. Like, 
Let's oh get gosh. buckle in. Let's go. It was oh perfect because you know Percy can't admit anything. <laughs> oh yeah. Other small things I love. That shot um is in the background, but there's this one moment where first of all they didn't have a zebra in the episode. We take a zebra to Vegas. If you're not gonna put really the matter. zebra in there, take the don't make that one the episode title for this. Like if you're gonna yeah, take choose out the a zebra, different. Choose a different chapter right. title. Yeah. <laughs> choose a different chapter title. But also, there's this shot. They had a camel. And there's a shot of this guy leaning out of his car to pet it. And I highly appreciated that. Because that would, under any circumstance, be me on the freeway if animals got loose. Yeah. I would be like, I shall pet you. Like, I one thing about me. So I have no animal fears. I'm generally not bothered by spiders Same. or bugs or... Like, I love big cats. Like, when I see videos of safaris and big cats jumping into the cars, I'm just like, I wish that was me and that I could pet it. Like, Same. I, I'm gonna get killed by an animal that I shouldn't be touching one day. The only thing that I'm scared of are ladybugs. <laughs> and that's, I'm not joking. That is a whole different thing. Frankie has a traumatic history with I, ladybugs. You might think I'm joking. But I'm scared of pineapple. So. <laughs> I'm being dead serious when I say I have a ladybug phobia. I am not, not an inch of me is joking. You can look at Katie and I's text history. Well, you can't, but I'm just saying. You, <laughs> you can't. Like, it's on no. there. Anyways. <laughs> Nobody gets to see the time noodle. Anyways. The time um. noodle. But another, another gripe I have. Well, I'm still going to the positives. Do you want to hold off on the... Well, it goes into a gro the Grover scenes, which we haven't talked about, but we can wait if you want to do more of the positives of the Lotus Casino. Okay, well, my other remaining positives have to do with the driving scene, so, so let's, let's... You can do your... Yeah. Go chronologically and do the Grover scenes first, because that was I... a mixed bag for me. I don't know what it was about the casino scenes. It was just completely a miss for me. Like, the Grover scenes, as well, him following the satyr around, slowly losing his memory. It's like, it felt such filler. Yeah, I feel like they totally missed what would have made the casino... Fun! Not... Not only that, but I feel like they totally missed what would have made this version of Grover the most susceptible to the casino. Yeah. And they just totally, dare I say, botched it. Like, I just, they I, just... visually and in terms of the stakes and the threat of it, like, I don't know. It was just I do like that small it. Percy and Grover moment where, you know, he comforts him because we need more of those interactions. That's what Percy I was going to say. In this show. Another gripe. Another gripe. Why the hell do they keep sidelining Grover? They've done it four episodes in a row now. I want Percibeth moments as much as the next person, but I this is the fourth episode where they've sidelined Grover and just had Percy and Annabeth in scenes together. Where the hell are the Percy, I mean the Percy and Grover scenes and the Annabeth and Grover scenes? Like this is not just a Percibeth dynamic, people. I think it would have been if they were gonna do it this way. The pairing should have been different. It should have been Percy and Grover going off experiencing the casino. Mm -hmm. And then Annabeth's going to Hermes. And then Percy can eventually get separated from Grover once he's in, like, the fog of, like, the Lotus Casino or something. And then find yeah. something. Anything. Just how they did it was not... I don't know. that I just... I 
But did you get the cameos? Because I saw that I got I caught cameos at minute 12 second 30. You can hear a little boy calling for Bianca. I heard that. Like I heard about that. I didn't hear it in the show, though. I could hear it very vaguely, but I do believe it was intentional because the child's voice was louder on the back recording than it should have been if it was just an extra screaming, you know? Huh. Like, it was louder than the other extras, I believe purposefully. And it does sound like someone is yelling, Bianca, Bianca, twice. And I find it very hard to believe that they, that's just a coincidence, you know? It doesn't seem Hang like Hang on, I'm delusions. pulling it up. I'm pulling it up. I'm going to minute 12, second 30. Yep. Crank your volume. God of nature has been hiding all this time. Here. This is like the least natural place in the world. Seems like a strange choice. I heard it this time. You heard time. it, right? That sounds like a young kid, too. Yes. And Nico's nine. He would be nine, ten right now. That is accurate. That's mm. how nine and ten-year-olds sound. Isn't he ten in... Titan's curse, so he would be eight or nine. Time moves differently in Lotus Casino, though. I don't... Oh, true. So he could be really young then. Right? I'm not... Sh well, no, because the people say the same age. So... Oh, yeah. So, so he's how nine old or were they when they got put in there? He was... I believe he was eight, nine, or ten, because he's about the same age when they grab him and take him to the wilderness school. Like, it's been maybe a couple months. Okay. That Grover's been okay. at the wilderness school. So, anyways, yeah, that's a cameo. They put little Nico's yeah. voice back there, people. Oh, I like that. And then what I did like between Percy and Grover, what I did like when Grover thinks, even subconsciously, he's still under the fog at this point, And he says, is it my fault? I'm sorry if it's my yes. fault. The trauma, even when he's drugged, basically, Grover still yes. takes blame on. And Percy sees that. You see it. Walker's so good. You see him realize what's happening, and that's why he's like, nobody. And he, like, pats him. He's like, it's okay. Like, mm -hmm. oh, that they did. They are hitting Grover's character so well. And now... Yeah. And I genuinely thought Grover was going to have permanent brain damage and memory loss from this casino based on Arian's performance. Like, oh, I... I know. It lasted so long after they got out that I was like, is this going to be a lasting thing? Like, oh, my God. I wasn't too worried. I was like, it'll clear itself up by the beach. Yeah. But but I was like, when is this effect going to end? I couldn't. Yeah. Percy right. football tackling that satyr. I did like that. I did oh like that. Oh my gosh. I loved that. <laughs> I have read these and books since age 12. Again, have seen Percy kill the Minotaur, seen him taunt God, seen him like basically flip off every mythological creature in existence, fly away in a magical pegasus, I have still never been, like, so taken aback by Percy Jackson as when he tackled that middle-aged satyr, like, full football form tackle. I was, I don't know why, I was so shocked by that. Yeah, no, I loved that, though. It was so, once again, in character. It but was yes, so good. Percy Jackson would do that. Absolutely, I loved it. Do we move on to the car? Or the best part of this episode, by far for me, is him trying to freaking drive that cab. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So, 
prime Percy Jackson style comedy is that transition where he just tosses the keys like all arrogant. Oh yeah, how hard can it be? <laughs> Immediately cut to him crashing the car. I love it. Dying. And also, Percy's New Yorker rage coming on. This is what everyone Hot. was talking about on Tumblr. <laughs> oh my gosh. The guy didn't even slow down. This 12-year-old. Yes, Percy. And you know he learned that from Sally driving in New York City with him. You know that's where he gets this it from. absolute 12-year-old boy who should not be behind the wheel of a car, who is crashing into everything under God's green earth, who is like, who is just completely in the wrong in this moment, is still like, that dude's the one to blame. It's so good. <laughs> Doesn't even hesitate. He lays on that horn. He's like, he blames the other dude. And then Annabeth being casually supportive, like, you've got this, and the smile when he started driving, well, but what kills me about this? I, so I kind of lost it when Percy started driving well, and that music crescendoed into a triumphant, to some kind of literally <laughs> triumphant, heroic music swelling as a trophy will manages to drive at approximately five miles an hour. I died. I ascended when I started to hear that music crescendo. Annabeth just smiles at him, and the boy hits another wall and just continues grinding (laughs) along the spikes. I was like, my boy. But also, so funny how, like, I have never seen Percy so terrified as when he looked at that turn. I, the absolute pure fear and the dread of, like, having to to navigate a parking garage is so accurate. It was so funny. And I know, I know they didn't actually let Walker drive this cab, but the oh my visual gosh, imagery, I wish they had the yes. visual imagery of them putting Walker in this cab and be like, just hit a <laughs> bunch of stuff. I, I know it's not true, but from the bottom of my heart, I wish it were. It's prime Yes, exactly. Comedy. I wish they had. And oh also, Percy driving over Annabeth, when we know that Annabeth would probably have been so much more competent with it. Maybe she is shorter, <laughs> so maybe not. But, like, this girl successfully... In this version. In, yes. In this version, the height difference In the book, she's lost. taller. But... Yeah. But no, like this girl we know for a fact successfully in four years will be able to fly a helicopter and in distress and like bring it down safely. It's like she could have handled the taxi cab, but it's just that scene so good. And then the last scene, that final scene. Oh my gosh. Speaking of (sighs) the music, the swell of the music as Percy approached the ocean. Oh my god, it made that scene so much more impactful. And the lighting, it was an example of low-key lighting that I could still see and it actually worked. You know, a night scene that like I could uh. see because that is a pet peeve that many a people, many a person, I should say, oh, yeah. has had about Hollywood in like the 2010s to early 2020s. Guys, the, we get it's like, supposed to be night, but give us a light or two. Like, we get it's supposed we, to be I can't dark. see what's on my screen, for crying out loud. People talk about Game it in Game of Thrones, talk- worst offender. Worst offender with that freaking night battle. Oh my gosh. But we get it's a TV even, like, show. Even some of the later Harry Potters are guilty of that. Like, it's like the argument of like, okay, but where are the lights coming from? It's like, I don't know, where's the freaking music coming from, you idiot? Like, we know it's a TV show. We know they have to set lights up in the dark, or that they at least should. Do we have to establish diegetic versus non-diegetic freaking lighting now? I swear to God. (laughs) But anyway, 
Yes, that final And I scene... say that as a former film major, by the way, who has studied film Ugh. extensively. And even after I dropped the major, continued to take film classes. Oh, okay, again, though, before we even get into that scene with the Nyad, I have to comment on this. Annabeth Chase saying... It's easy to forget what's important when you're alone mm-hmm. and then being Percy Jackson's sole memory in Son of Neptune. Oh my god. Oh my god. It's just, I'm sorry, the parallel. And then I saw some people say they're each other's tether and that that's shown throughout the Lotus episode. But And I get that, but I also just, meh. I just felt so meh about all those scenes that I couldn't even care about that. But anyways, yeah, that final scene so touching so touching oh i loved it and the way they had to film that they had like a tank with safety mm-hmm. divers and everything rick riordan just posted about this yeah i think that's the first time i've said his full name on this podcast i always just call him uncle rick, rick. like uncle, uncle rick. rick uncle rick um but yeah no he posted about this like they spent the whole day drenched same as episode five and this was apparently the last scene they filmed Whew, i I don't know what it is about the underwater scenes with Walker so far. Scenes near water, that is one thing they are just constantly nailing. The atmosphere of those scenes has always been perfect, and this one wasn't any different. It was just... Yeah. They are nailing those underwater moments with him, and it's it just is. It's the atmosphere around it. It's so damn good. The color palette that they're choosing, the Ugh. effect, to make it look like it's underwater as well really works but like you can still see him percy choosing to continue the quest her giving four pearls instead of three they're gonna have to lose one of those pearls or else i don't know what the hell they're gonna do for this ending no no okay we know sally isn't on the beach with them when he goes to fight Ares. we see that she's not there they're gonna have to lose one of those pearls so he can still lose what matters most in the end i saw a post about this let me see if i can find it i think i also saw that post they're giving us hope and they're gonna steal it away at the moment we're most vulnerable i think that's right i think they're gonna lose it i think something is going to go awry Mm -hmm. and percy once again is going to demand going to insist that he is the one who stays behind yep but he's not going to we know he doesn't oh no no we know he doesn't. I don't know how they're going to get around that, but we know he doesn't because he's got to go fight Ares and then he's got to go fight Luke. How are they wrapping it up in two episodes, Katie? They have to go through I know all of the underworld. Are, is, I would expect all of the underworld to be one episode and yet we these saw Ares. Episodes, yeah, these episodes have got to be longer than what we've been getting. They've got to be in the 40 range. I need 45 minutes at least for this next one. You cannot have a 30 minute episode and go no. through the underworld and have him save Sally or not save Sally and then also have him no, fight Ares. That no, is- no. Once again, let me grab the lightning theme. I will agree that that will F up the pacing. Like, yeah, I, I will agree with critics. Point. I will agree with the critics if they do that because it's like, no, the underworld needs to be almost a full episode and then you need the cliffhanger. But I don't even agree with that. And it, it, yeah, okay, okay. And we got a shot of them doing the waterbed scene, so we know we're getting that. Which I don't like. You could have cut that. Yeah, so we're going through chapters 17 all the way through 20 or 21. That's I, a lot. You can't do that with the underworld. You needed to cut crusties. I'm sorry. I, unless I'm wrong and that shot isn't them going in there. I mean, it could just be like a quick five a minute cameo. opening sequence. Yeah, I don't know. 
You I don't think need... it's going to be extensive, but... They needed to cut the crusties part out. I'm sorry. Like... Just like the poodle. I'm sorry. But... Which, as I said in one of my posts, I'm sorry, but with what they're adding and what they're cutting, they've been very smart so far. You know, look at... Watch, I should say. Walker and Leah's performance in that scene with Hephaestus's chair and mm-hmm. tell me that you're upset about the goddamn poodle yeah, still. I know. Like, but... It doesn't need to be in a new medium, chapter by chapter. They are allowed to make amendments. What I'm worried about, you're right, these next two episodes, they need to be 45 minutes at least each, because here's the thing, in the next episode, if how they do this, they have two ways to do this, I'm guessing, which is either you spend the whole time in the underworld, and then the final scene is Ares showing up, and you understand that Percy has to fight Ares, and that's the cliffhanger. But I don't know if I like that, because then it means in the very last episode... You have Ares, the Ares fight, then him getting the bolt to Olympus, and the then Luke the fight. Luke reveal, and the Luke fight. I don't see how, it's kind of like the last Keeper book where I'm like, how the hell? Like, yeah, you've messed up yeah. your axe. You've messed up your axe. I don't know how. They almost needed ten episodes instead of eight at the pace they're going. Or nine. Or not, like, nine, nine would have been perfect. I think you need a full ep in the Underworld, and we're, there's no way we get that now. Like, we know. We're not mm-hmm. getting a full ep in the Underworld. The Underworld cannot just be 15 minutes. No. The stakes, that is the whole thing here. Come on. Yeah. The Ares fight scene can't just be two minutes. Like, it can't be two minutes of them posturing and then, like, tw- 20 seconds of fighting. That cannot be, you know what I'm saying? I'm worried. I'm a I little do. worried. I'm a little worried now where they cut this off, yeah. And the fact that the last three episodes have been so short that we're a bit behind schedule, so to speak, of where we should be. I need 45-minute episodes for the final two, and even with that, I'm a little worried. I'm almost like, I need 45 minutes of, a, of the, the next episode, and I need, like, 50 of the finale. Like, he still has to go to the Underworld, face Hades, get out of the Underworld, and face uh, Ares, go to Olympus, stop the war. Go back to camp. Face Luke. Luke reveal. Wake up. Be better. Like, that's nine things I've just listed. Like, oh, I don't know. Uh, We haven't even had Grover fall into the pit with the shoes yet. I'm just, I am worried. And that's when I think they're going to drop the pearl. I think Percy's going to drop one of the pearls when he goes to get Grover from the pit. Oh. Yeah. I've thought that since that Nyad handed him four <laughs> pearls. I was like, he's dropping one of those when he goes near that pit. Oh, wait a second. Katie. 40. What? It's so weird theorizing about books I've already read, but if he drops that pearl into the pit where Kronos is in. Oh. I just saw Katie's face change. I need everyone to know. I saw the moment the light bulb clicked. Is that. Are they going to write this in somehow that he gets. Hold on. Ooh. (laughs) Ooh, hold on. Just chilling over here looking up the run times. They are both over 40 minutes, by the way. <laughs> and then I said this and Katie. Rick, I've cracked it. Rick. Rick, I've cracked your <laughs> And I low-key suspect to follow the codes we've cracked more so than Shannon Messenger know, at this point but- with our KOTLC series. Is that not a valid, like... I feel like that's almost, that should happen. Am I wrong? Like, that feels like it should happen. No, you're not wrong. <laughs> okay, then. Well, we'll see if that happens. We've been recording for an hour and a half. I have to go do homework. Unless there's anything else you have to say. I think I just said it all. I mean, 
I'm kind of proud I'm of that one. Good. All right, that is all we have for you today. Thank you so much for listening. And without further ado, in honor of episode five, happy Percival shipping. Happy Percival shipping, guys. Bye. Bye.